Welcome to the Theory of DFS podcast. I'm Jordan Cooper, the co-author of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports, a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass you can find at theoryofdfs.com. This week, I uh, brought, brought on the, 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 I would say, the, the fantasy baseball goat, right? All around, Dave Potts. Cheese is good. You may have seen him in the DFS streets. You're you're one of the Dave. You're one of the select few that has ever won one million dollars in a contest twice. Yeah, um, I mean, I I did it kind of back before it was a thing. Before it was a million dollars every week to someone in something. Uh, pretty soon, there's going to be thousands of us. There's I want to be the. I want to be. Hey, I want to be the. I want. I want to get one first. Yeah, I mean, you do have to start there, but what you'll find is you get one, and then uh, this time of year, a, a tax time rolls around, and you're like, well, I really only have half a million, so I'm going to have to do that again. <laughs> but uh, me and you are, are, I think, are old school. People may view me, it's kind of weird in the DFS space, that I'm I'm the guy that's like, that embraces variants like there's no tomorrow. I think me and you are, have similar backgrounds, but maybe have different philosophies in playing DFS. That like from a day to day basis, um, my attitude is anything could happen. So just exploit what the overconfidence in the market. But we both come from like I like I remember. I think you're a little bit older than me, but I still I played very young rotisserie baseball. I played like old school, old school, like like the transaction before the internet, right pre right pre internet, where. Uh, the only reason why uh, transactions were done on Tuesdays is because that's the day when the USA Today came out and like every week they'd always have like all the weekly stats in yeah. the USA. And you either had to phone in or mail in your, your changes, yeah. No, you had to phone in, you had to, there was a secretary that you had an answering machine and then they weren't allowed to check the messages until like one in the morning like Wednesday, one in the morning, and that's when like all the waivers and all the 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 fab bids. If if, if you even had fab bids, I don't know, Dave. Yeah. I I the only reason I don't play, oh, there's two reasons I don't play uh, fantasy rotisserie quote rotisserie baseball anymore is a one, uh, I, I it's not worth the 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 monetary you know hold. Like you get a mm-hmm. lot more churn of your money in DFS than you can in season long. But uh, I got to a certain age, and most people did not want to play the way that I wanted to play. Like it's very, it was, it got to be very hard to find leagues where you're playing one. Like I like playing twelve team NL only, twenty five man rosters, auction no, draft, twelve man reserve squad, six man minor league. You know, like <laughs> like the deep of the deep, where like waivers was like, uh, are you going to get the platoon hitter? for three at bats the next week, uh, you know, and the fab was kind of like trading deadline. Who's coming in from the American league. Like I'm going to bid $78. Cause what the fuck else are you spending your fab on? Cause there's no one available. Do you come yeah, from, do you are... come from that era of rotisserie baseball? Yeah. And like you said, the industry has totally gone away from that. I mean, there's still a few of those, but they're mostly private leagues now. And like a 10 team mixed league is just goofy. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't see how the fun, how do you, I never understand it. Friends wanted me in their leagues uh, for, for obviously like football, everything like that. But, you know, it's like, oh, it's eight people and it's the whole, it's, it's mixed eight teams and no auction. It's a draft 
and uh, you only have like 14 man rosters. And I'm like, like this to me, this isn't the fact that you could find like guys that hit fifth in lineups that are on the like that are just available. Like, just yeah. it almost seems like it's not fun to me. Yeah, I like the so I, I think that you know, I still play in the NFBC, and I think they've kind of found the sweet spot with 15 team mixed where it's it's deep enough for the serious player, but not so crazy deep that you're drafting people you've never heard of. Um, so that's kind of my cutoff is 15 team mixed. Um, but I don't play as many leagues as I used to, mostly because of how much time fab takes. Um, but yeah, I, I don't go thinner than, than 15 teams anymore. But uh, I mean, when's the last time you played in a deep league like what, I, what I'm describing? Uh, the last time I played in like an NL or AL only, I think I stopped those about five years ago. So it's just just that people don't play that anymore. Yeah, I mean, there, I shouldn't say that. I, I could. There's a couple that I know of. I just I don't have the time. Like that to me is not quite worth the time investment. Um, like to dig into Fab on a deep NL only league. I mean, you're spending all day, if not all week, trying to figure out who you're playing in your fifth outfield spot. And I don't I don't have that time. Yeah, but you have a reserve uh, squad. Is, like to me, those leagues you don't have to worry about. Fab because there really isn't anyone worth bidding on anyway. Because they're on <laughs> so much where it's like a minor leaguer comes up and it's like, oh, uh, he's going to get a spot start. Like he's already on someone's, he's always, he's on someone's minor league roster. I mean, I was rostering like double A players going yeah. like, but this guy could be the closer. You know, I'm spending this season time still researching minor league players. And it's just like, there's always, I'm, I'm always spending time that I feel like, yeah, this is kind of fun, but this is, it's crazy how, why am I looking at the double A roster for the Marlins on a Tuesday afternoon? Well, I think it depends on your age. I think when I started playing rotisserie, it was, I was like 12 years old and like, I had no life. I, I, I loved sports statistics. I couldn't play the sport in real life. So to me, it's like, what, a, get home from school. You know, you, you buy all the, the fantasy baseball magazines, right? You get, you get, uh, the, at that point, that wasn't even the internet. I mean, I, it was, was barely AOL, get on my Commodore 64. And uh, I, re- I remember putting together, uh, I, I would I would get all the baseball magazines, like the season-long ones, the thick ones. And then the then you had the Bill James one. Then you had the baseball almanac. That was like thick, right? And then I would put in all the stats. I, I created a, ba- a cr- program in BASIC to put in all the stats and aggregate all the, like, the projections together. Like, this is like, this in DFS, it's in 2021, like, the type of model that I made when I was 12 years old sounds like, like, that's fucking stupid. Like, <laughs> like that there's obviously problems in what you're doing, but I was like, how how scarce are the points in certain positions, right? Because it was yeah. always, the, there was the, you know, the, the strategies of, like, uh, like, not rostering catchers, you know, not, that you had the, the I, if you want to go old, old school, the, the Alec Patton, Kind of like rostering all like the all the the, the one dollar starting pitchers type of strategy. Yeah. I mean, I go I I read books that like from like the eighties on rotisserie baseball. Uh, but I mean, I found that fun. But now you know, now that I'm forty two years old, like I'm I'm not going to spend eight hours a day doing that. I'd rather spend I'd rather spend eight hours a day trying to determine if a guy's going to get a home run in a span of three or four bats. Yeah. In one it is just game. as silly when you say it that way, but yeah, I, I agree. Right. But what is, but isn't that the, the biggest difference? 
that you see. Like, I, I've not been involved in the season-long industry at all. I mean, like, I played in the 90s. I played in the early 2000s, but I, I was never in. I was, I mean, I didn't do content or anything. I was never involved in any high-stakes stuff. Uh, do you think, What what is your sense on, I when I started playing in 2015, I didn't start with baseball. I started with soccer, but I got into baseball in 2016. I got this sense in 2016 that a lot of uh, hardcore season-long fantasy baseball players viewed DFS as like, oh, it's luck box lottery type of like what, you know, yeah, you could, yeah, you could predict that, you know, so-and-so is going to hit 38 home runs this year, 117 RBIs, but like, like viewing it from a game by game basis, they're like, oh, this takes no skill. But I've, I always viewed it. I mean, I, I, I hope you agree that long term from its slate to slate basis. Yeah. There's a lot of luck involved in DFS, but I think over the course of a season, the good DFS players will be profitable more so than I think you get more lucky in season long due to like injuries or like great, like lucky fab purchase that in DFS over 150 to 200 slates. Like if you're if you could be profitable over 150 to 200 slates in DFS, I think that takes a lot more skill than winning winning a, a season long league. So yeah, the way I see it is, it got a bad rap for being called daily fantasy sports. It's not really a daily game. I mean, of course it is, but it's not like it's a long series of daily games. Like it's if if all we if if you like create a FanDuel account, put in ten dollars, enter one lineup on one day, and you either win or you lose, and then you quit, then it's a daily game and it's luck. But that's not what this game is. You know, it's a long series of day after day after day. So, um, and you're right. Back around the time you started, it was pretty well hated on by season long people, and I was one of the only people who played kind of seriously in both. But why was um, it hate? Was it was it? Ha- I mean, it seemed like the people that hated it either didn't play or they played once, and they're like, "Well, how do you? How do you? How could you possibly win at this game?" You, you got it. What ha- Most of the people that I know that hated it, that came from season long, hated it. Simply played a couple of times and didn't win, and thought, "Well, this is luck," because I know more baseball than these guys do, and it's true they do know more baseball than these guys do, and they didn't want to put in the time to figure out how to do it. Um, it, I, I think that's really where it came from. And I know several people like this. They played for maybe, you know, a month and they lost and they were like, well, this is dumb because I know so much about baseball and I lost. It's, it's, this is a, uh, yeah, this but, is just luck. But it, it's funny to say, like, I'm, I'm, I'm the big proponent, obviously, of, of, of the game theory driven approach to playing DFS where you don't even need to know the sp- I mean, like, you don't even need to know the sport, but you still need to know the sport. Like, I, I think the stuff that you need, when someone says they know baseball, like that, there's a much different approach to like what you focus on knowing baseball season long wise versus like in, in a one day sample. Like you have obviously for Roto-Grinders premium members, uh, Jesus Musings, right? Which I, I, to me, to me, I, I, you'd, you'd have to pay me $2,000 a day to write. I mean, like. Like you're writing fourteen thousand words. I'm, I'm just like, and the, 
14,000 words, and then at 7 o'clock, it's not worth anything anymore. Like, I'd, I'd, I'd probably throw myself off a roof at that point. Like, how do, how do I write that I do that occasionally. <laughs> how do I write that much for it to be like, no you, no one's ever going to, like, no one, I'm not going back three years ago to your column from, from May 21st to see, you know, like, like, how many words have you written that are no longer going to be read ever again? Like some people could do it. I know that people are writers. I'm not much of a writer, so I don't like doing that. But the stuff that you talk about in your in your article is stuff that in season long doesn't have like the things that you look at for season long stat wise don't apply as much to daily and vice versa. Like do you, other than like obviously you know, the good ballparks, you know, like, oh, this guy's going to hit 81 games, you know, in Coors Field, you know, those types of things that everyone kind of knows. Or, well, this starting pitcher is going to pitch 32 times. But, like, the difference of, like, like in season long, do you, the umpires don't matter, right? I mean, like, in daily right. they do. The weather doesn't, you don't think in terms of, like, well, it's going to be warmer there during the summer. Versus, like, it all evens out over the course of 162 games. But in daily, when people say they know baseball, is it just due to the fact that they know baseball from a perspective of a season-long sample size, but they're not accustomed to modeling, even if it's in their head of what they know about baseball, to just a single day's games and what matters for the variance of one game versus the variance of 162? Yeah, I think the problem runs in that... So the the people who seriously play season-long know the player pool, know every player individually inside and out. Like they can tell you, you know, the back to this guy in little league, how he, how good he was. Um, whereas a lot of DFS players don't know really anything about the, you know, the fourth outfielder for most teams. Maybe they play him some days, but they don't, they like, they couldn't tell you his name off the top of their head. So it's a difference of like the season long players, you know, all the players and you know, they're kind of basic skill set um and i think you have all of the tools almost all of the tools from playing season long that you need to move to dfs but you have to change you have to add some things forget some things um like i i still think pretty much any good season long player could figure out dfs if they wanted to but it's you have to kind of be willing to scrap some things and it took me a long time to be willing to fade the the obvious chalk on a slate and not just lock button Nolan Arenado when he was in Colorado against a lefty. And like you got to get some things out of your head that you're like, I know this guy is better than this guy, period. Any way you want to slice it. So I have to play him no matter what. In season long, that's true. Like you would never in a bazillion years for any reason draft, you know, Donovan Solano ahead of Nolan Arnato, like for any reason ever. But in daily, there are times you would flip who you're playing and you, you got to be able to work around that in your head. Well, don't you think that the, the season long type of player, like it's, it's DFS is a salary cap based game. So you're not just selecting players. Like, yes, if Arenado and Solano were both $4,000, you're probably playing Arenado. But when Arenado is 5,500 and Solano's 4,000, well, that's a different story. Regardless of what's going on that specific day, uh, is it very similar to like, I mean, we see in like football with ADP or the auction price, 
Like you almost have to think in seasonal for season long players that in daily, you're that the auction is already being set for you. So you have to think in terms of just like in season long, it'd be like, would would you pay more than thirty two dollars for this pitcher? And be like, no, no, that's what someone oh whoever paid thirty two dollars for that pitcher, I don't know how they're gonna win because wildly overpaid. Well, that's what you're doing in daily. You're looking at here are the prices you that you have to pay. And do you believe that the player, obviously on a specific day, but even if you're not just going by the specific day, going, is this guy worth more than this other guy based on their price? Do you think, I mean, what what are the types of things that you need to scrap, that you needed to scrap when moving from uh, season long to daily? Or, and and how, how did you, and this is outside of the game theory stuff of stacking yeah. and correlation and, and ownership leverage, because... To me, those are the main things that are completely different from season long because you you're the only one with that player in your league, right? There's right. no, there's no there's, if you have Nolan Arenado, you don't have to worry about someone else having Nolan Arenado that day. You you're the only one that. To me, that's the biggest difference. Right. But like, how, what are the, what are those types of things that you have to to unlearn in order to be successful at DFS, even though you were already successful at season long? Yeah, I think the auction auction league strategy is a good a good analogy um and that that's harder than it seems like to get out of your head so basically you look at a dfs slate and you can play whoever you want until a certain point in your roster like salary wise like you can click in the four most expensive players to start and then i then you're kind of out of money but to think of it in terms of how do i know if this guy I know this guy's the best. How do I know if he's worth $5,100? And for a long time, I didn't know how to figure that out. Um, I would just sort of look at, okay, he's the best player. Can I afford him, period? And that was like the whole decision process. Um, It took me years to try to figure out, how do I know that $5,100 is worth spending on this guy versus not spending on this guy. And that's where all the other stuff comes in. The, okay, does everyone else think he is? Does that matter to me? Um, Well, a lot of times, a lot of times in DFS is that you don't do in season long is think you have to admit that a lot of what you do rostering hitters has almost more to do with the picture they're facing Right. Rather than the, the hitters hitter themselves, and in season long, you never think you're never you're never doing a draft in in the end of March or beginning of of you know, April, going like, is this guy going to bat you know eight times against the Orioles pitching staff? I mean, like it, like you never think that way because you're playing. That's 162 games. Yeah, I guess there may be slight if the division has really bad pitching or something like that, but. Like to me, like mm-hmm. I, I look at I, I look at a slate, and my first instinct is not like who are the best players hitter wise. It's who's the shittiest pitcher on the slate, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm I want five guys from that team. Yeah, but the, so the I think the biggest difference is embracing that the fact that you know you're you don't know what's going to happen in that one day, and getting out of your head that the clearly the best player, even against clearly the worst pitcher is not necessarily going to do anything that day. Whereas in season long, the best player, if he doesn't get hurt, 
is definitely going to do the things you think he's going to do, like with basically no question. And Daly, you know, he's probably not a lot of the time, like regardless of how perfect everything is, you don't have you can't have the same level of confidence in your this is the best player in daily versus this is the best player in season long because it's one day and we see it all the time. So that's how. But how, how, I, how did the season long players, I could, I, I mean, that's obvious. I mean, talking to DFS players, like that's like no, no brainer. I mean, like that's, that's what we do. That's why it's not about one slate. That's why it's about a year. That's why you're playing turbo slates and you're playing. I mean, you're trying to increase your sample size as much as possible to showcase and show the skill in your ROI. But I can understand completely season-long players that come in and they do that. You go, how does Mike Trout not hit a home run here? And then he doesn't. Yeah, and they, then just, they throw their phone against the wall and they go, I don't know what, what donkeys win at this game. It, it must be all luck. Like, yeah, so like, what I think ha- is... Ha- have the- the, uh, here's the question. Mm-hmm. The first season that you played DFS, what at what point did you have a sample size large enough where you saw that because you came from season long and you dealt with people that were like DFS is is for for is a lottery it's skill I know baseball and I still lose you can't this is whatever like at what point did you get to a sample size where you're like oh I I I get why this is I get why this is skill over X amount of period of time. I would say I really had about three years of consistent cash game numbers to tell me something. But as far as tournaments, like when I started playing, I played for many years without understanding really anything about how to play tournaments correctly. So the first few years I played DFS – I would say I didn't really know what I was doing and I was still playing. I was still not embracing that variance enough. Yeah. But you also Um, have to admit that a lot of other people weren't playing well either. Exactly. So that, yeah, that's the key part right there is me in, you know, 2012, if I showed up now in DFS, I would have no chance. Uh, Back then I still did because we didn't have the tools. Like there were a lot of just truly horrendous lineups out there to compete against. So you could get away with it a lot more of not knowing completely why you're why you're playing this guy or not playing this guy and just having plain old good lineups over the over the course of the season. Um, But I would say it took me five years before I understood enough about tournaments to know that I actually was going to win long term and knew what I was doing. Um, I, I really did play more or less incorrectly for a fairly long time. Yeah, but for cash games, you probably didn't play incorrectly because, like, correlation and leverage are not, like, like important concepts for uh, if you have to just come in the top half of a, of a, of a content. Right. I mean, like, you could, you could, it's, it, uh, I mean, you don't even, you barely even need a model for that of just, like, who's undervalued? How do I jam as many of those guys in my lineup? Who cares? In what the very early on? days, of DFS before there were any publicly available projections. Um, uh, to me, cash games were just wildly easy. I mean, I won most, you'll hear this from most pros. Like you won a ridiculous percentage of cash games early on. 
Um, and that's obviously back way off now, but that that's what kind of got me through playing for a few years of not actually really knowing what I was doing and not being particularly good, I would say. But then you transitioned. I mean, we see you in contests now. I mean, obviously you play multiple sports. We see you in hockey and and football, and you're 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 playing 150 lineups. So it's like it's not like you're not necessarily just playing single entry stuff. So like it's 20, 20, 20 21. I go to Results DB and it's like, oh, she's played 150 lineups, and you seem like the type of guy that is a cash game player, single entry type of player. Like what you said, you played gpps tournaments for a long time like incorrectly like what what got you to the point where it's like no i think i'm playing correctly now and on top of that i'm gonna max enter contests yeah um so really the this was about i don't know just in the last couple of years that i've kind of hit this new point where i've figured out some things that it was always hard for me to switch knowing what my knowledge of baseball is to knowing what my lack of knowledge in other sports is and sort of make my own peace with like, I'm going to be that random guy who's never heard of this player and wins a tournament with him. And I'm fine with that. Um, but really it's because the tools have gotten so good. Like the being able to use lineup HQ on roto grinders um, with all the projections like, it's just simply easier to figure out how to do it now. Like, I, I can't build my own model for all these different sports, um, but I can use one that's good and available to me. Okay, so on that on that note, I, here's a contentious here's a contentious argument. I think this is this is the primary difference between me and you. You write a column that's ten thousand words, right? Ten thousand plus words. I read it because it's entertaining, right? And what else do I have to do? But to me, like, I, I'm using Derek Cardi's The Bat. I'm very similar to you. I, I could build my own model, but it's never, it would take, why why not just use, I'll pay for it. I mean, like, it's just right. efficiency-wise. Like, it's good enough. I'm going to use prim- primarily game theory anyway. So, like, I don't even need the most perfect model. I just need a reasonably accurate one and then be able to gauge what the market's going to do and say, they're overconfident here. I'm going to embrace variants there and I just need to win one of these, you know, once a year or something, two of these a year. And, uh, you know, I'm wildly profitable in GPPs, but if the projections are good, like I have the answer, like, like you're, you're like, I'm for, yes, I was always into baseball, whatever, whatever. But now I'm at the point where it's like, what's the most efficient way for me to get from A to B. And I don't need to know why. Like I, like I could just look at, at the bat and go, oh, this is the best projected stack. And like, I don't even, I, I, I played Akil Badu the other day in my tiger stack. I literally never heard of him until he actually hit the home run. So like, I didn't even know he was in my, he was in two of my tiger stacks and it just, he happened to fit, he projected right. whatever. And he's what point nothing percent owned. Like you seem the, the type of person where like, 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 you need to know why, like you like the like you write an article where I'm reading it, going, I agree with everything that she says, but like everything that she says is like in the numbers that I'm looking at at the projections as it is. So like, then what's the point of me reading cheese if, like, yes, you're smart. You here you here you broke down exactly the reason why this guy is projected for 32 points 
at pitcher, but like, like why, like why, why do I need, why do I need to read it? Is that is is it weird for me to because it no it, it sounds like it sounds like I don't respect your work, but it, I do. It's just that from an efficiency perspective, it doesn't affect the decisions I make. Yet right. you say that okay, now you use a projection. You're building 150 lineups with a with using projections. Yet still are like digging into like strikeout rates and and barrels and 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 all the stuff that would go into the projections. So like what what's the I, I mean I'm asking truthfully like what's yeah, the, yeah. what what's the, what's the time value? What's the of point it? of your right? Life, what's the Dave? point? Right? What's <laughs> right? All right. That you get you get what I'm saying. It's like I I I agree with everything that you do. It's just that it's like well what's the point? Like I already got the answer. Like. I'm using the calculator. You're doing it like by hand on an abacus. And I'm like, like, dude, I got the calculator. Like, let's say fucking go out, go out for lunch or something. You don't, you don't need to spend two hours doing this. Yeah. So the short answer is you're totally right in that. And I, I kind of tried to get into this, like my first article this year where I said, it was five years ago, I started writing like this and it was necessary. Like people, the projections weren't where they are now. The tools weren't where they are now. And I still think it's helpful to understand why the numbers are what they are. Nowadays, you can certainly get away without it. And I don't by any means think that everyone playing needs to read anything that I say, much less everything that I say. Um, but for me, I'm still I'm still playing baseball for fun because I like it. Like every other sport, like if I play NBA one day, I don't care about it i'm not going to watch a game i don't enjoy it per se i'm just saying i can make money on this long term with these numbers baseball i i still actually enjoy it and i still make lineup by hand because i think it's more fun you don't make 150 lineups by no no i don't make 150 i make about i make my first 30 roughly by hand in my notebook i still use the, the stupid notebook and i love it and that's why I still do it, honestly, except the other the other place for me where baseball is just so different than anything else we're playing is the projection. The, the error bar in the projections is so large that they essentially projections don't matter in baseball. Like in other sports, projections are everything like an NBA. You have nothing without projections. I still think baseball hitter projections are nonsensical goobity goop gobbledygook well i i i think i think it's primarily because like most projections we we treat in our heads as normal distributions and in most sports that they are like i mean yeah at that bell curve so like an nba right. if the guy has a median projection of 38 it's like he'll score 38 and then 36 you know back and you know like those outlier like ones and and 99s like don't happen like if it's, but in, in baseball, like everyone's floor is zero and everyone's ceiling is 32 for the most right. part. And like you get, you have guys that while we treat the project, we think of projections as a normal distribution in baseball, it's every player's distribution. Like, I mean, our, our favorite guy that's no longer on the Rangers, Cardi's favorite guy, Rugnet Odor, yeah. like these home run or bus guys that project for like, oh, they're 3000. They project for eight points. It's like, they never fucking score eight points. Like there's, there's no way that, that this guy gets two singles or anything. It's like, this guy's either striking out five times or hitting two home runs. So like from a median perspective, like, I think, I think, I think you're absolutely like the median projection, like really doesn't matter that much. It's more of a, 
and you you covered this in your article. I think the more a worthwhile thing that you talk about is is the range of outcomes, the variance of players. Like you know, I I always remember because I read your stuff when I started playing MLB. Like because I needed like 2016. Like okay, I'm a Rotogrinders Premium member. Let's read this 15,000 word article. And I, I always remembered the Robbie Ray rule of yeah. you know Robbie Ray. You play when no one has him and. If he's chalk, you don't fucking you don't take him at all because he's either going to walk five guys and give up nine runs, or he's going to strike out sixteen and in eight innings. And but but that highlights the that highlights a DFS concept of right. like the wider the range of outcomes, the more variance of a player, like you should t- you could should exploit the confidence of the market when it, when it's one way or the other because sometimes you see the opposite. Oh my God, that guy's too risky. I can't play him. And he's like 1% owned. It's like, fuck it. I'll take a shot. Right? Yeah. So what you're saying now is exactly what I'm getting at as to, this is why I still do it other than it being fun is that it is still useful to know which players are that much more boomer bust versus a little more projectable. But like when you look at, no matter how good a projection model is, Projecting 12 points for Joey Gallo is an irrelevant, dumb thing to do. Like, stop it. Like, there is no such thing. And, like, that makes him better than an 11.5 projected Reese Hoskins or whatever. Like, it's dumb. Well, 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 I mean, but truthfully, if the projection model is the most accurate, over the course of, like, a million trials, like, Gallo is going to be – Gallo is going to score more points on average than Hoskins – but to realize that half a point difference, you're going to have to run God knows how many trials that in the span of even a thousand trials, the difference between those two players is, it's like you said, is almost, is stupid. It's like, like that half a point doesn't even matter. Right. Um, and so, and, and then this plays into pretty much everything that you say all the time, which is how do you decide? Well, if, it, if it's, if there's no difference between these two guys who are half a point apart in projections, then that's when it is very relevant. What everyone else thinks of them, right? And that that's what that's play whoever you want. That's like I mean, yeah. when when the difference is so marginal, like I, it comes down to a time. It comes back down to time value. Of we, I see so many people that that ask me like, do you, in, especially in baseball. Said uh, uh, this stack or that stack, and I'm like, like they're both about owned the same. They're both about projected the same, and it's like, like flip a coin. It's like, but, but Dave, you understand when I, when when it, it could frustrate people, where oh, yeah. where you say where the decision, the decision don't even spend your time because the decision is so marginal that like the sec the the three seconds you spent on deciding, like is not going to show in your results. So like. Move on to something that's more relevant. Like to me in baseball, the most relevant, the biggest decisions that you're making is what do you do with the chalk pitcher and what do you do with the chalk team? Like what do you do with the Dodgers and Coors? Are you going to play the stack and then get different elsewhere? Are you going to, are you going to, the chalk, we have a Pablo Lopez is 41% owned for whatever reason at SB2 on DraftKings. And it's like, do you play him? Do you stack against him? Like to me, those big leverage situations are the things that you should be spending the most amount of time on. What type of lineups can I build in either of those scenarios and which direction should I go rather than deciding between, you know, two 5% don't stacks or 
two 12% owned pitchers that project within a point of each other. And to most people, like they, do you, do you feel that most people that play DFS, especially baseball, because there's so many stats for baseball, we're so, and it's the national pastime. We're used to sabermetrics. We're used to all these stats. We have pitch effects. We have barrels and stat cast data. And do you think it's kind of hard when, like, where, where me, I think we could both agree with that you could look at all the stuff you want, but in the span of one day, like, almost nothing matters. Almost, almost nothing matters that. Maybe it's more beneficial for a lot of DFS players or average ones to pretty much simplify how they think about things rather than like, I'm sure you must get questions about, you know, well, how important is like expected ISO or like Mm -hmm. all these, all these or pitch effect or like this guy hits sliders well. And it's like, well, pitch effects is a descriptive stat. So like you can't even like that isn't even predictive. So like, how do you tell someone when baseball is so statistically driven to say, uh, uh, click on, just, uh, just click on some buttons and let's see what happens. I mean, like sometimes that, that is, it's almost better to just simplify it down to what is everyone else going to do? Do something else. And then like that, that almost can't be like completely wrong. Yeah. So, and I would tell you kind of what you're saying now is another reason why I do think why I, I like writing the article and why I think it's relevant. Knowing how a lot of people are playing, I do try to get you down to a simplified point where let's look at this slate and say, okay, let's not worry about him. Let's not worry about them. Here's your, this is the, the best play and this is the best team. They're going to be this owned and here's your option. I, I, I'm trying to sort of big picture it and help people get to that simplified point where we're not going to spend our day debating Tatis for Seager. We're just going to say they're both great. And let's, let's stop with that one. And we know that what's next. Um, I do try to, and that's another, that's just a thought process. I enjoy is getting the, taking the big picture of the slate and kind of chopping it down bit by bit to get to where we don't have so many decisions to make. And they usually do come down to what you're saying. It's okay. There's four good pitchers, but this one is 50% owned and these three are 10% owned. And then there's two really obvious stacks. that are going to take up all the ownership. How close to them are these next five stacks that I like? And I try to get it down to that. So that's your decision. Um, And I think that's a little more digestible for people to sort of read a thought process behind that rather than just clicking numbers on it. Um, right. You have to be comfortable. Like I get to the same point as you by going into lineup HQ, setting it for 300 lineups, setting up five man stacks and just like as default and just go, what show up in the first 300 lineups? And I go, Oh, okay. 68% of this guy. And like, and then I look at your article. It's like, Oh, you mentioned all the guys that somehow appear in a lot of the first, the most, of the top 300 lineups, but like the mental process of like the, we're not doing anything different. I mean, like literally we're not doing anything different. It just, I feel I'm never saying that what you're doing is wrong. All I'm saying is what I'm doing is more, more time efficient of just like, I could show up a half an hour before a slate, not knowing anything about nothing, who's pitching, what's going on and just go, let me go to a projection source that I trust 
Do I trust the model? Yes. Okay. Run the top. Run the. Th- I could export it and run a thousand if I want, and go. Okay. Here, here, and you could run a simulation. We have Slate IQ at Rono Grinders. It's very similar. And then just run simulations and go. Well, this guy's going to be overowned, and that guy's going to be overowned. This stack's going to be a little too owned, and like, like I could figure that out in five minutes. Uh, it until you get you. I mean, you've been playing DFS for baseball for like nine years now, like. Like, it's something that you couldn't do in 2012. Like, what I do, like, maybe in, maybe you had guys like Condia and Sahil, like guys that, like, were, had the tools before everyone else had the tools type right. of thing. But now that we're in 2021, uh, why, why do you think that, this is, this is a weird question to ask, why, why do you think that, your methodology, while both of our methodologies are are identical, I mean, are virtually right. pretty much identical. You use projections making 150 lineups, right? right? How come do you believe outside of the the the, the knowing the sport aspect of mm-hmm. why why do you feel that you get much less push pushback on like on on your methodology? Yet my methodology just seems like, like, oh, you just, you just, you bang against your heat. You're just going to look, I'm just going to look at a series of numbers and just put together lineups. And I have guys in my lineups I've never heard of. And it's like, well, how could that be profitable? And it's like, dude, me and cheese are doing the same fucking thing. I think we're still kind of nowhere near the point where people are willing to admit that they don't know everything. And like, I just think most people really want to, not even want to, need to feel like they understand why they're playing who they're playing. And if they don't, and then there's also a lot of people, certainly this was me when I started, that if you're not playing completely for a living, if you're playing for fun, it might not be any fun if you're not doing it that way. There, there still are a lot of people out there like that, like, Right, you know, I get that. You, I get that a lot. The game. I get that when, I, when in NBA, when I'm just pressing, you know, like give me the optimal lineup, and I'm playing it in all my double ups, and people are like, "Well, that doesn't sound fun." I go, "You know what's fun? Winning money. That's that's right. to me." <laughs> I I wouldn't be watching NBA like I, but at least I understand. Like, if you're playing for fun, feel free to pick players for whatever. The, oh, they're wearing your favorite. It's, it's Wednesdays, and you always pick guys with a T in their last name. Fine. I can't argue with you. If your goal is fun, and this is like, I want to waste $3 on, I want to play a lineup with everyone's name being Tyler. Like, fucking do it. I'm, I'm for that. I'm, I'm for all those fucking fucked up things to do. Or the revenge narrative lineups, or that all the lineups that have a guy with a junior in the name. Like, if you're if you're throwing in three bucks to have fun and that's your entertainment, like then I'm not talking to you. Like then then right. you do I, I have nothing against and you don't have to play well. I don't give a shit. The reason you having fun is the reason I'm able to make a living. Like right. so, like I want you to feel free to put in as have a blast. <laughs> right, have a blast. Put it in as many deadlines as you want. Play substitutes, pay pinch hitters. I don't give a fuck. Play relief pitchers. Play people play pitchers against their stacks. Go go ahead. Have all the fun you want. But like like if you're asking me a question on how to how to be profitable long term on this, like that they're like, do you want to be able to do your profitable process in four hours? Or in four minutes. 
So like, right. like to me, like if I could do the same thing in four minutes, why wouldn't I? And so it's potentially a dumb answer, but I prefer to do it in four hours. Like I just, I just actually do. Like I, I truly still like it, which is bizarre, but I do. Um, and I still do think there's baseball is still enough different than the other sports that you're still going to get. I'm still going to get some stuff that the projections aren't going to get because of how dumb projections are, even when they're correct. Um, that I know in other sports, which may be why I don't like NBA. I know there's nothing I can find. Or I don't know how to find anything that's better than project. There's nothing I could do if I had four hours. And I do. I've, I have four hours, but I don't. I would do nothing useful with it, and I would do nothing enjoyable with it. But you in see baseball, people in NBA do, but but to me, in dealing, I mean, I've been in Roto Grinders for two years. I'm always in the, I'm always in the Discord. I'm always in a bad mood uh, because people are asking true. me stupid questions. I try to help. You see, I spend tons of time. You're trying. a very nice person. In, I'm, in I'm much more nicer life. than people yeah. think that I am. Uh, <laughs> and I and I truly enjoy talking strategy. Like outside of the sport, like uh, to me, the conversations of like, like you said, like who's the best shortstop in baseball to tease for is like, if it has nothing to do with the game of DFS, like I could, I don't, I don't care who wins the world series. I don't, I don't, I don't care about any of that stuff, but when it comes to DFS strategy, like I'll debate shit, I'll simulate shit. We'll get our Excel spreadsheets out. We'll do whatever, talk about that type of stuff. But it's so hard. Like when people are like, because the, 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 I get emails like, how much time do you spend? Like, or I have a nine to five job, right? You get this. I, I want to play DFS more seriously, but I don't have the time that you do. You spend all day researching this stuff and whatever. And I, and I have to just break the, the, the notion of like, like, dude, like, especially in NBA this season or whatever. Like, like, dude, I don't even think about NBA until like an hour before lock. Cause fuck knows what's the hell is going to happen when the injury report doesn't matter anymore. And in baseball, it's kind of like there's no decisions I can make until I see the batting orders, and you know I can make I can make 150 lineups in 20 minutes. I mean, like I just have to have like gauge the ownership and get. I mean, like like how much time is there? But it it's made out. It's it seems like the notion that you need all this time to do. Like you said, in four, you're not going to spend those four hours in NBA. Like you're going to spend those four hours in baseball because you you actually enjoy right. doing that, but you wouldn't enjoy doing it in NBA. Like that comes back to the simplified thing of I think that do you, do you, okay here here's a here's a question this is a content this is another contentious type of question do Excellent. you believe that content sites such as Roto Grinders we have Awesomeo we have other there's there's others right. that I, I always say that 95% of the audience wants something that they don't need. Like, for instance, like your article, like like all the stuff that Roto-Grinders, we, we produce the grind down, that, that there's all multiple sports, all this type of stuff. Yet what we're both saying is that that the tools have gotten so good and the models have gotten so good that like the most efficient way to play profitably is to just, is to, you could play in 10 minutes type of type of thing. As long as you have these tools to me, I'd pay for Roto grinders just for the projections. And you could no one, there could be no expert survey. No, not, no, none of that. But how do you reconcile the fact that 95% of the audience thinks you need that? 
And then isn't that a conflict of interest of like, I'm trying to teach how I'm profitable. And it's kind of hard for me to say, it's weird for me to be in the Roto-Grinders Discord and for, for, for me to try to honestly teach someone how to be, pro- I mean, I'm, I'm 100% saying, here's how you read the projections. Here's how you think about game theory. Here's leverage. Here's whatever. And here are some decisions that don't fucking matter. Like, dude, pick names out of a hat at this point. Like, put those eight guys' names in a hat and pick it out. And then they'll go like, well, if I'm going to do it this way, then, like, what the fuck's the point of me reading, like, Jesus' article? What's the fuck? And, like, I, it, I put in a hard place of, like, like, I mean, you can, but, I mean, is it the most efficient? I mean, is your decision going to change based on something that, that, that Cheese writes or Andy writes? It's, like, it's possibly not. So do you think that con- that there's... The reason why people don't simplify to the decisions that matter come down to like the business model of content sites. Like you promote the fact that look how much stuff we got when like a lot of it is redundant and not necessarily necessary for your profitability. So I think most, I I still think most people just want something because they want it. And you're right. There's a lot of stuff you can totally do without. Doesn't mean it's not valuable. I just want to say it's not necessary. Yeah. So three years ago, four years ago, I would have been offended and, and probably argued with you. But I feel like the tools, like you say, the tools have gotten so good. Um, you can absolutely play without ever reading anything I say. I'm I'm totally on board with that. Like, not everybody needs. We should have done this. We should have done this four years ago. I think it would have been more argu- more entertaining if we argued. Yeah. Oh, I would I would fight you if we were <laughs> here still for the people. Um, but speaking more, you know, there's different kinds of content. There are definitely articles written or content written that is pointless and just for entertainment. Um, but as far as like what I'm trying to do. I still just think there's too many people that have need to have an understanding of why they're doing what they're doing. And they're, they're, they're never going to stop needing that. And that's what I can do. Um, and I, so I think that's still relevant. Like you still have decisions to make when you're playing in, in the, again, this is baseball specific. The projections, pitcher projections, if you just assume that they're correct, you're missing a huge point of where's the inefficiency in that, where's the ceiling and the floor, and where's the who's actually likely to hit near that median, who's who might hit 50 versus 10. Um, and I think a lot of people, if you don't know that and you just play the, by the projections, you can still win playing correctly over the long term, doing what you're doing. Um, but in any day, you're going to miss the – this project, like a lot of projections are flat out wrong on pitchers because pitchers change their pitch mix and their velocity, like that kind of stuff is relevant and it's not in any model and the models do it incorrectly. And sometimes the numbers are just like, they're just flat out so wrong. Um, that well, if you but don't that, but that it, comes back to the point, like that to me, I'm not arguing that fact. Like I start with the, the, with the, the beginning point of the first question you ask is, do you trust the model? The answer is yes then you have the numbers. Like if you're saying, yeah, I don't, I trust the model for this, but not for that. And then, then that, that's a different, then sure. 
Absolutely. I could see in the projections the ranges of outcomes of different play- pitchers because their rate their 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 standard deviation is going to be higher. So I know that they're a higher variance pitcher, but I mean, this it doesn't mean that you go in with like absolutely no like baseball knowledge whatsoever, but do you believe like I I I've said I said this uh, to someone else like last week uh that were ju- was just getting into ba- have not watched baseball could basically name like Mike Trout and Bryce Harp, like maybe a couple of guys that they've heard of, but they were playing NBA. They were playing NFL. They're just getting into MLB DFS. And they're like, what they're trying, they're, they're trying to treat the projections the same way they do in NBA. And I told them that you don't do it. They're like, how many points off the optimal do I play? I'm like, you really, baseball is so high variance that like, like, dude, you could play a lineup that's 50 fucking points off the optimal. And that could be the nuts. I mean, like you're playing teams and, all that type of stuff. But I told him, I said, if you want to play large field GPPs, said, and you're on DraftKings, just set, just play five-man stacks. Play, play, if you just did this by default, play 5-3 with two pitchers, obviously. On, on FanDuel, if you play 4-4, four, four, just take two teams. Don't even look at the, if, if you don't even want to look at the lines or anything, just say, I'm going to just randomly pick two teams Try to play the guys at the top of the orders because they're going to probably get an extra at bat. Try to weave two four fours together with a pitcher or a five three. Like to me, like if you just did that with no baseball knowledge, you may be ahead of of of, of half half the field just by without knowing anything about baseball. Just because, like, from a GPP perspective, like correlation increases the variance of your lineup so greatly in MLB. That if that stacking is 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 going to be king. Same thing for NHL, right? Just take line like power play one from this team and and the second line from that team. Like, don't you think that that's that's almost more valuable than like trying to figure out like, well, which one of one of these four? Like, you could take a look at your article and then oh, I'm going to play I'm going to play the the DraftKings GPP. I'm going to play the two the two. Uh, Pitchers that she said to play. I'm going to play the two guys from this team. And then one guy from the... Oh, I'm going to play Seager over Tatis with no other Dodgers. And it's like, you look at that lineup and you go, you made, you made some really good player selections and you have like almost no chance to... You're like, you're just throwing your money away. And the guy that I told to just randomly pick two teams and stack them, like that's the guy that's could win. That could, Does that come that back to the season-long players looking at this going like, how do you call this a skill game? Like, but what I'm saying, like the construction wise, like if they didn't understand that that's the skill part of it, like that's why they're losing all the time. So if you could, if you were only allowed to do one thing and like your choice was either I'm going to dig into all the players and read the article and build my lineup, or I'm going to hit the stack button and hit optimize, I definitely would say hit the stack button, optimize and be done. Like if those are, if that's it, you have. You only have time to do one thing or interested in doing one thing. I think you should just go and optimize and stack and be done with it. Definitely. Um, but personally, I I have time and interest in doing more than the one thing. And the next steps make the one thing way better. Um, because, the again, because the projections are nonsense. So if I had <laughs> to choose one, like I'd The choose... projections are just nonsense. <laughs> they are. It's dumb. It's dumb, if we're honest. But... Again, yeah, what you're saying, if someone's new to baseball and they just want to play, 
and have a chance to win, I think they should do what you're saying. Absolutely. Like, just click the button. If you're playing FanDuel, click four, four stacks. Pick a few teams with high totals. Pick, you know, take the top five projected pitchers and give them a percentage and run it. That's what I would do. Absolutely. Um, but I will definitely for sure beat that guy in the long run. Like, Yeah, because you're doing question. ball. But the, the, there's a difference between doing that and then also doing that like in some type of strategic manner. Like in your articles, you do have strategy stuff in your articles of like how to stack stack this team versus that team versus that pitcher. Like you still talk about like, yes, there there are slates. I have to admit that I look and I go, uh, I could stack eight teams and I'm just like, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to stack all of them. Just like, I'm not even going to just give me all of them <laughs> combined. And then I, then obviously then, then what ends up happening if you're using an optimizer, you, you get to this with the 150 lineups is that because the projections are nonsense, which I, what I, what we mean by nonsense is that the, the difference Immediate. between the projections are so marginal that like half the player pool should be projected about the, the same median anyway. So like, it's not that the projections are nonsense. It's just like, dude, right. the guy that scores 13 is not act- projected for 13. He's not going to score 13 points. Period. Right. But the, the point is, is that if you, if you make, if you, if you just press the optimize button, you're going to get uh 71% of Cedric Mullins in your, I mean, like you can get the $2,200 leadoff hitter for the Orioles is going to be in like 71% of your lineups as a one-off. If you're playing like a four, three, one or something like that. Like knowing that because projections are nonsense and Cedric Mullins is not going to score 8.34 points, that maybe maybe you don't want him in 71% of your line. Maybe, maybe that's when you're like, do I want to just have him in just Oriole stacks? Or do I mind him in a one-off in these types of lineups? And then you see that, oh, you're playing on DK and you have like, you have 60% of one pitcher, you have 40% of another pitcher, and... They're they're all happen to be in the same lineups. Like you're like like the guys that you have twenty percent and ten percent right. are all clumped together. Like you get clumping type of things where you're not really getting the diversification that it looks like from your exposures, and, or you're relying on uh, 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 Jay Bruce is underpriced and he's a bo- he's a boomer bust type of guy and he's going to be thirty seven percent owned at twenty seven hundred. And if I just went by the projections and hit the optimize button, I'd get 87% of them. And it's like, maybe, maybe you put 10% max there and, or you select the, you know, we now have the only in stacks and you go, Jay Bruce only in stacks. So he's not a one-off. Like to me, those are the strategic things that are the difference between just, like you said, pressing four, four, pressing five, three, hit, hit the optimal button 20 lineups and enter them like it's better than than not having any type of construction dynamics but really the type of stuff that you go on from there is exactly what i described yeah so i don't think most people can do what you're saying to do without somebody telling them about it like i don't think most people can look at lineup hq and realize whether or not they should have 70 percent cedric mullins like all they like that's where I think it actually it is useful to have an article or some rank or something saying, yes, here's the reason why Cedric Mullins pops in projections. Here's the reason why you don't actually want to play him as a one-off in a Padre stack. Like, people are not going to get that without somebody telling them. 
Yeah, but but that's a game. But that, to me, it's a game. It's you're you're playing a high. I mean, it's the, it's the concept of you're playing a high owned guy that has a a low. Like when we're talking about Cedric Mullins, we're talking about someone that I know he put up a ton of. He went five for five the other day, but uh, typically someone that's not like a guy that's going to hit two home runs in a game. So he's going to be a narrow range of outcomes player. Jay Bruce is going to be a wide range of outcome player. He's going to hit two home runs or strike out four times. If that guy's 30, 40% owned on a nine game slate, like, do you want to play that guy as a one-off? Because it's like, everyone's playing the, like to me, you get leverage by not playing him as a one-off, but if you want to play him in a stack, at least the other Yankees in the lineup decrease the total ownership. And it's like, if Jay Bruce does well, well, Glaber Torres or Gio Urshela is, you know, 3% owned. It's like, well, you get that benefit now rather than, and you beat all these lineups that have a chalk random Jay Bruce one-off. But it, to me, it has nothing to do with Jay Bruce. It has to do with, you're more like, like you would have to agree that playing chalk hitter one-offs is 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 usually a, a negative EV strategy in GPPs. Yeah, so I think we're saying the exact same thing. Um and what I'm saying on it is I don't think almost anyone knows how to figure that out from looking at lineup HQ and clicking buttons. So that's where the value of other content is. But how would you Helping know clicking buttons? You would see Jay Bruce uh, projected ownership be like 36%. And then you'd see and you're, you'd, you'd run 150 lineups and see that he's in 86 line, 86% of lineups. Like, do I want to play the highest owned guy in 86%? Like to me, like you would learn that by just like the concept of, let me go through where's Jay Bruce. And it's like, oh, I have all these Jay Bruce one-offs. And should you be playing chalk one-offs in large field GPPs? Like you can, but traditionally like that's, that's something you but should it, avoid more. I mean, you would, not a, you would avoid more. It's not a either or situation like, okay, I either play Jay Bruce chalk or I don't. Mm-hmm. So then you knock him down and say, I don't want more than 20% Jay Bruce. The next goofy guy jumps up to 60%. And then right. you got to know what to do with him. Like, I just, I really don't think you have to cap the goofy guys. What's so hard, Dave? What's so hard about just saying I'm going to cap the goofy? If you see goofy guys, well, who's goofy? Like, how do you decide who's goofy? Is every high owned player goofy and every low owned player not goofy? Like, you still, at some point, you got to play somebody there, and you say, like, you know who not to play. To a point, eventually you got to play somebody, and he might be goofy. Well, I mean, you create more balanced builds, then you adjust your pitcher. So you play more of the cheap pitcher, so so you're playing more uh, expensive shortstops or something. You know I mean, like it's it's yeah. And I yeah, again, I agree. Like I think you're right. I think we get like you've said before. Like I think we get to the exact same point. I just I don't think most people know how to get there without somebody telling them I really and I know you're trying to teach them I don't think I don't think most people can get there with the, with button clicking well I'm trying to teach them how to get there with but I'm just you take a look you, yeah, take, you take a look at the range of outcomes on the guy and you go well do you want to play a, a high variance player at, at that's going to be in a third of lineups as a one-off and it's like I mean you can, yes you could find some if you if playing really off the board stacks and stuff and off the board pitchers sure but in the long run, you're more likely to not. So all I need to know is how, what they're owned and what their range of outcomes are. Because, I mean, even in baseball, if you told me that Mike Trout was going to be 3K on DraftKings, 
and he's going to be 80% owned, like I, you, you easily make the case that you X him out. And people would look at you like you're, you're crazy. Like how do you, Mookie bets normally 6,000. If I told you it was minimum price on DraftKings at 2,000, like, and he was going to be in, in a large field GPP going to be 92% owned. Like, I, I can't see how that's profitable to even play him in any lineup. Right. But yeah. I mean, but, but that's the concept, but, it, but isn't that the concept? Don't, don't I not have to mention who the players are just like it's baseball. They're going to get five at bats and who knows? No one should be 92% owned. Yes. I, so again, I agree, but at some point you got to play somebody and at some point you got to stop saying, I'm not going to play him because of how owned he is. And then, so you get to a point, okay, once, I, once everyone in my lineup's at 20% owned, I'll play him. It doesn't matter who they are. That's fine. Got like, to do that. I don't there you think, go. <laughs> I don't think most people can do that. Like, what's like, so hard? You put it in the, you saying. put it in the setting. I could go right now. Dave, I'm going right now. I'm going to uh, the global hitter exposure, 20%, no more max. And then there you go. Now I don't have to worry about that anymore. And I, and I think that's fine. Like I'm saying for someone that doesn't know what they're doing, they will win more doing exactly what you just said than anything else. Right. But they still may not know what they're doing, but they, but I will beat them easily because I, the, and so I would rather just do that. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But you play 150 lineups. So you get what I'm, I mean, you're doing, you're doing what I'm doing. It's the, like absolutely. It's the same. I mean, you get what I'm saying by you. You lose it. You use an op, the optimizer is only as good as the user that's using the optim. Like the optimizer is yes. not going to tell you. It's just solving a math problem, and it's just it's going to keep on going to try to put in all these median f points into your lineup until you tell it otherwise. And uh, you know, if you don't want uh, <laughs> if you don't want Jose Altuve at second base in in eighty percent of your lineups. Like, well, that's what the math tells it to do based on that median number. But uh, if you don't want that, you have to override that. And what, what are you going to, what are you going to override versus not override? Like in, 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 in basketball, we don't have as much of this problem because the, like you said, the projections aren't nonsense in basketball. So like when we have a guy that's like 4,000, that should be like 7,500. Like if you have that guy in like ninety eight percent of your lineups, like, like we're not batting an eye in NBA. We're just like, no, just he's kind of, kind of lock him in. Like he's gonna he's gonna get there like almost all the time. Uh, in baseball, like that that doesn't happen. So, but isn't that the concept? Like I, I still don't get back to the fact of like, do you do you, you do you think that most people have a problem? not with the concept to just how to portray that concept into like into using lineup page. Like it's, it's a, it's a software user software issue and not like people don't get the concept that you probably shouldn't play like, like hitters are highly variant and there's no such thing as like a lock button hitter in MLB DFS. I think almost everyone understands the concept, but that's harder than actually doing it when you put the money in and enter the lineup. Like, it's really easy to say you should not play $3,000 Mookie bets at 95% ownership, but it's really hard to actually put your money into a lineup that doesn't have a $3,000 Mookie bets, regardless of what you know the concept is. Also, oh, so you, think, so you think it's a fear thing? Yeah, exactly. I think it's a fear of missing out. And a fear of being wrong, and like because you look stupid. If Mookie bets for three thousand goes out and puts up twenty eight fantasy points on DraftKings, and you're like, "Well, I I played one hundred and fifty lineups, but I have zero of them. 
like you you look like an idiot yeah i think that i think that's the bigger factor than anything like it's it's totally easy to say that in concept like this is correct never play any 90% on batter for any reason anywhere but to actually do it is way harder and i don't i still don't think a lot of people are going to be able to do it but you do it i i do right um, okay but I, uh, i'll give you another example like this is why I still play cash games in baseball. Not so much because the ROI is high anymore. I I know I am unwilling to go into a slate and not play any $3,000 Mookie bats. We say this like it's a thing. If it, if there were that, I would still have, I could at least say, here's my Mookie bets lineup. I feel better about myself. I have to mark him as a core play because he's the best play and I have to play him in my lineup. So here he is. It makes me feel better about having these goofy tournament lineups without the obvious best play. Um, yeah, but that's I personally, optimal, that's optimal for those games. Like if you're playing, yeah. obviously if you're playing double ups, you play, you don't need, you don't need to win a double up. So like, right. so that's the concept. Yeah, sure. Jam in. And I just personally, I need to do it to get out of my own head. Like I'm going to have to have a Mookie best lineup that day. So I do. And I, but if you like, if you didn't play cash games at all and you were only playing one big tournament and you were fading them, I just don't think most people could do it, even if they know it's the right play. I think you should, but I don't think I, other than you, I don't think anyone actually would do it. No, the sharp players would. I mean, uh, sure, a few people would. Right. Well, that's what isn't that the reason why I, I, I look at results DB every day and and go on the pregame show and and show it's like it. I'm not showing the winning lineups of the contest. I'm showing the sharp players and the choices that they made. And to me, that to me that that's that's another thing of like like the those those fear based things of uh like imagine uh like it's easy to play the chalk, and if it doesn't get there, you are unlucky, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's easy to say like if if, if whoever's chalk today or whoever in baseball, the chalk pitcher, Jacob DeGrom or whatever, and you go, he's the only stud pitcher on the slate. The hitting pricing is soft enough on both sites. How do you not just plug in Jake DeGrom? I mean, like, he's 11,000, yes. How do you not, like, if he gets hit up a little, I mean, he's probably not going to get blown up. But if he only puts up 16 fantasy points, you at least could say to yourself, what the fuck am I going to do? Not play Jake, I mean, like, like if he has a bad game relatively for fantasy, you don't blame like your decision. You're just like, right. like I, 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 what am, what am I supposed to do? Not, not play him. I mean, like, and, and if he does well, you're like, oh, it's obvious whoever didn't play him is an idiot. But then if you go to sharp players lineups and you see on the days, like if Jacob DeGrum didn't do well and you see a couple of sharp players that were way under on him, like most people don't, can't equate the result to the process of, oh, these guys were building lineups because they believe that Jacob DeGrom at 72% ownership, they still played some of them because he's still the best raw points pitcher, but there were plenty of lineups that had high win equity that maybe 11K pitcher doesn't get there. Maybe he only puts up 16 points. He doesn't, he's not necessary anymore. So they, they, they look at the, they look at something like results DB and go, uh, well, why did these guys not play? Like, I thought he was obvious. And then like, if Jacob DeGrom puts up 40 points, 
they look at those players and go, well, they were idiots for only playing 10% right. of them. Like, but the result doesn't matter a bit. It's like, take a look at their lineup construction and see what was the reason for it. Not what was the result. They were able to build plenty of lineups that if Jacob DeGrum did not pitch well, they would have won first place. And they identified that. While you may have played lineups that the only way for you to win first place is if, like, the whole fucking chalk, like, you have to have the chalkiest lineup and you're going to score 300 points in MLB. And to me, that, a lot of times, that's the harder point to to convey that you're going to win the most money on the lowest scoring slates. And even if you're right on the high scoring slates, you have to be pretty much perfect. Like you have to be perfect to win a large field GPP with all chalk and like one slight differentiation because everyone's sharing the same points. But when you try to play the other way of I'm going to fade all the chalk and play for the low scoring slate, you're just going to look like an idiot like 90% of the time. Yeah. And so that, that whole mental aspect, I think most most players, you know, keep saying this, are not anywhere near being able to actually play that way, even though they get it. Like if if you have a conversation when you're not building a lineup about the concept, every almost everyone is on board. Like, yes, that sounds correct. I get it. It makes sense. When you actually click the button, putting your own money into it. I don't find that most people are willing to actually play worse plays. Um, but do you think this comes back comes to the concept to the to the notion that there's such a thing as good chalk and bad chalk? Like yes. like like most people like they will ask in in basketball or baseball or whatever DFS. It's like they I I get it that they get the concept of like okay I need to I know I I can't just play the, all the chalk because I can't win a GPP that way. I need to find leverage somewhere. But like they have multiple choices. We have. Do you play the truck stack? Do you play the truck pitcher? Do you play this in NBA? Do you play the team with the highest total? Do you like, so they know that most likely one of these pieces of chalk is going to fail, but which one's the good one, which was the bad one. And like the reaction that I typically give is you're, de- you're describing something that happened at like those terms are, you could describe what's good and bad, but all these things have certain probabilities. And if you're telling mm-hmm. me that there's, here's the six chalk things and which one is the good and which one is the bad, but they all have the same probability. Like, that's like me telling, like, which is the good side of the coin and which is the bad side of the coin. Like, it's a coin. It's heads or... I don't... I don't all I know is that half the time, you're it's, it's going to be bad chalk. Half the time, it's going to be good chalk. But all four of them, or all six of them, are the same. So th- does that come into, like... Like, people can't wrap their heads around, like... There's no such, like, choose one. If they're all equal, roll a fucking die. Fucking roll one to six and put them in order and you have to trade one of them and whichever one, like, but game theory-wise, that would be optimal. That's game theory optimal. Yet telling people that, it almost feels like, like, like I'm the idiot for saying, like, it it, it sounds right. ludicrous, but we both know that if all things being equal, like that's what you, that's what you should be doing. You shouldn't be thinking of who's good chalk, who's bad chalk. Uh, you could think of who's underowned and who's overowned, and maybe that makes it a little bit easier to go like, well, Mookie bets at three thousand shouldn't be ninety two percent owned. Like maybe he should be sixty percent owned. 
And maybe this guy is over-owned, but not as over-owned. So you could think in those terms, but it still comes I'm down. Willing to, I'm willing to use the term bad chalk on occasions more than I'm willing to use the term good chalk. Um, well, bad, doesn't bad chalk really mean that they're, that they're over-owned for their yeah. expectations? Over-owned is probably a better term for it, for right. sure. Yeah. So they're, they're so, um, so so someone is owned, you know, sixty. I'm just using terms. Sixty percent owned, but they only have a twenty percent chance of, of being quote successful or making value. It's like they're three times more owned than they should be. They they're still of good value, but they're just still like way over owned. Yeah, and yeah. and and good good chalk would be like we we seen. I mean, look look in NBA, we see good chalk. I mean, when some guys out and the guys you know four thousand underpriced. And he's like, he's going to be 64% owned. But truthfully, he should be 94%. I mean, like, like he's the highest owned player on the slate, yet he's still under-owned. But people yeah. view that as good chalk. But to me, actually, he's not. He's, he's the highest owned player, yet I still wouldn't consider him chalk. Because, like, there's going to be 40% of people in this contest that decided for some fucking reason to play a guy that's, like, twice as as as... He's an eight thousand dollar player at min price at in basketball, projected for like twelve x median. Like you're just throwing money away at that point by not playing him in every lineup. That, but people think of that as oh, he's the highest on player. He's chalk. It's like no, truthfully, yeah. he's not. We almost should have said this right at the top. Like one of the big things about baseball and what what you're talking about now is that it comes right after NBA season. And you get a lot of new players who just they learned how to play with NBA and then they come to baseball and they do it the same way with these percentages with ownership. And they assume 65 percent can be good chalk if where it can't like uh, I think that's one of the biggest things to get out of your head immediately. Is it's a, it's not the same game. Um, Even pitchers that, can't be that good. I mean, yeah, pitchers are are more projectable and a smaller range than hitters, but it's still nowhere near NBA. Right. But still like you could, if Jacob DeGrom was 5k, like you, 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 you could still make a case for, for fading him in lineups. Yes. Not, but not to the same extent of the Mookie bets. Right. Of course. Yes. But that's more similar to that. Yeah. But, but don't you think that these, these concepts that we're talking about are more important? That to get to bookend to this to the coming from season long, that all the concepts that we've just been talking about for the past 10, 15 minutes, like season long players, like this is this is not even would it even be in their their brains at all? There's no there's no need to think about it because you're the only person who, like you said, you're the only guy who has this guy. Right. But don't you think that that's the biggest the biggest step over of being able to think in terms of of like on one day I'm trying to beat 70,000 people in this contest rather than I'm trying to figure out who's going to do best today in baseball. Yeah, so and I, I know you've, you've said basically this before, like you've got to forget, you're not trying to score a certain amount of points. You're actually playing a game against other people. Like, it's not, I just need to find a way to get 300 points today. 
points in baseball, like I've said enough, that's these projections are nonsense. There's there's no there's no such thing as projecting 300 point line. It doesn't stop it. But you're playing other people. So having if everyone if every single person playing plays the same lineup and the projections were right on that day, you just all score 300 points and you tie. So it's kind of even that's irrelevant to have the best lineup. So you're still playing against other people and you're not playing against some. Even if we knew what the optimal lineup was, which we don't, you're not playing for that. I mean, if we knew what the optimal lineup was, if we knew the optimal, that would be an interesting, if we knew the optimal score, that would actually be, I would be able, that would be useful. Yeah. Not with the players, just the score. Like if you told me like on a, on a baseball slate that the optimal lineup was like 168, I'd be like, this is going to be a very low scoring slate. If you tell me it's 270, whatever, it's like, oh, this is going to be a high scoring slate. And actually, you could construct lineups differently depending on it. Yeah. So, like, but what you were saying before, when you build a bunch of lineups and you look at them and someone will ask you, how many points away from the optimal can I get? You say, you can go 100 points away from the optimal. That's correct because you're you're not playing against some number. Like, you're playing against other people who are building lineups that are not going to be optimal. Right. And also, the opti- any type of optimal median lineup is not... It doesn't have enough variance for a GPP to begin with. I mean, like obviously, right. if you home run hunt and score perfect, sure. Good luck trying to do that as a repeatable process. Like these one, like one one offs, and you know, like whatever your cash lineup is. Like to me, like I, you never play your cash lineup in a large field GPP. I don't even. I wouldn't even play the cash. I, I don't even play my cash lineup in small field GPP. I mean, like small field GPPs. I'm still stacking. I'm still. I could be a little bit more chalky. Yeah, maybe I play the chalk pitcher combination. Maybe, you know, maybe I don't mind the ownership so much. But, like, but you see, if you download the CSVs, even the large field GPPs, uh, I see people that uh, that have bet, went went to a projection model, clicked the optimize button without stacking, and played, and I've seen multiple. I mean, like, this is why I love the large field GPPs, even though I hate them. Because, right. because it's first, uh, you have to, I mean, it's just, it's just stupid. It's like, you come in third place, it's like, oh, there goes my year. I didn't come in second or first, right? The drop, you know, like that type of shit. But it's it's hard it's hard for me to, to download the CSV to look. And I check every once in a while, because I don't have to do it much anymore. And I take a look at some of the lineups that are like by the cash line. And I'm like, dude, like the rake is paid for. Like these lineups have no chance of winning. It's like, and and of course... As I, 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 am a subscriber elsewhere, so I, I need to see what my competition's doing. Uh, I could just go to other side. I could press the optimal button and go, I'm going to be, able, I'm going to find that lineup 80 times in this contest and yeah. go, what, what, what are, what are people? That's why, that's why, that's why I said that it, that is my methodology more of a user software issue than a conceptual issue. People are going to people going to lineup HQ going, like, 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 let's say someone with, without using stacks or anything like that, just went, give me, give me 50 lineups, like just optimal, like they're, you're getting 50 cash lineups and then they're throwing it into GPPs and they go, oh, why, you know, why? And, and to me, it's, insi- it's almost insidious. It's an insidious mistake because more likely than not, those uh, lineups are going to have good min cash equity. 
because they're yeah. low variance lineups, right? So you're gonna you're gonna put in a hundred lineups for four bucks a piece, twenty lineups for four bucks a piece in the twenty max, and you're essentially you just built twenty cash lineups, and you're gonna put in eighty bucks, and maybe you'll get back sixty seven. Maybe some days you'll get uh, 92. I mean, like, it'll be so much lower variance that you spend the entire... Oh, I was close. You know, that you come in with one of these types of lineups. You come in, like, 48th. You're like, oh, I'm getting I'm getting close. And it's like, like, dude, you, like, you need, like, a perfect blue moon storm for one of these lineups to win first place in this contest. Yet, they're getting back enough money or they're seeing... Like they're bleeding money away. They don't realize it because they're not using like a roto tracker or anything, but they still, oh, I've won 20 bucks here. I lost 20 bucks there that they don't realize that like, dude, you're not going to win. Like, like they think they're using the optimizer. They're going, I'm just going there and the projections and the optimizer. And then they go, I haven't had good, good luck with this optimizer. I'm going to go sign up for this side and use their optimizer because they have different projections. They don't realize the difference between the two. So to me, I, a lot of the mistakes that I see from looking at the CSVs themselves are just people that like are not using the software well. Like it just it just yeah. it just seems like like what like or or uh, they're 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 forcing in stack. They're like you know I see lineups, uh, someone's exposure, and I'm not talking about sharp players. I'm talking about just some random dude that put in forty lineups in, and it's like. It's 45-man Dodger stacks of the exact same. It's like I could tell that they locked in five players from the Dodgers and then just pressed, give me 40 lineups, and they only had unique players on one. So it's like the same lineup 40 times with just like one player different as a one-off. And it's like, well, I mean, you, if you, you could come in first, second, third, fourth, fifth. I mean, yeah, you're either taking down all of the money in this GPP tonight, or or you're like you're not getting anywhere. But I I see that so often that it's hard for me to say that they're not getting the concept, right? Like they un like like understand it enough, but just like they just don't understand what like projections and an optimizer does. Yeah, I I mean, I definitely agree. Most people, I keep saying most people, like I have some idea with who most people are. A lot of people don't know the right buttons to push or they think they know and there are some of the wrong buttons. Or they that's think that there are thing. right buttons. I think that, I think that's a bigger thing, right? There are no yeah. right buttons in lineup HQ, right? Right. Or yeah, people want a, a magic potion that it's as simple as you hit these two buttons <laughs> right. and do this. Yeah, it, it's, um, and that's, again, I guess I'll go back to, this is how, this is why I think an article is still relevant. Like a lot of people are just not to where you are of understanding how to use it. And shouldn't we, educate, kind of shouldn't we be educating them? And we are. That's what we try to do. Yes. And you, but you've been trying to do it for at least several years and most people do not get it. Well, Again, that's the, it, most people. Dave, isn't that the beauty? Isn't, don't we get the best of both worlds? I'm teaching you everything that I know 100% transparently and I know that 95% of people still can't fucking do it. Yeah. Right? It's like like am I am I really giving away that much edge by literally explaining something that for some fucking reason like this is why I say that you you say I'm a nice guy but uh, you don't know what's going on inside, inside <laughs> my head. I I I sometimes I I, I don't from, remember saying you're a nice guy. You said you're it earlier. Words today. In my mouth. <laughs> or nicer. You use an ad, nicer. Nicer. Like, nicer. Exactly. 
but I, to me, it get it gets frustrating to like, to see to 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 try to teach and 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 see people just like, like, dude, how do you not get this? Like, like I just I, how many times can I? How many different ways can I explain this? Like, I I I I try to make it so that like it's like there's no correct like when, once I start saying there's no correct answer, there's no like there's no magic button, there's no play whoever you want. Do you think it just gets so abstract that people are just like, fuck it? Yeah. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I mean, and again, I think it goes back to it's one thing to kind of understand it, but a whole other thing when you're actually clicking the button with the money on it to be like, I know that I don't know. <laughs> what well, it, It's hard. It's harder to do when you're actually doing it. And most people, I just, I don't know how many times I've said most people. I have no idea how many people. Right. But you have no problem. Um, but but how do you get to that point, though? You had to get to that point, right? Yeah, um, that's okay. That's that's the big question that I I need to have a grand answer to. How do you get to that point? Well, how did because you? I mean, I'd like like for that. sure. It took me a really long time. Um, I, I I okay. I actually have an answer. I think the the breaking point for me, breaking in the good way, was that I got really good at esports. By doing this, oh, because e- well, esports is like the most correlative fucking sport there is. And I don't even know what game they're playing. <laughs> Literally, I don't know what game they are playing, and I'm really good at it. So that that's what took me over the edge of not only do I not understand, I don't even want to understand. <laughs> I think they're playing a game where they shoot somebody, but I'm not sure. Um, that was sort of my. That was where the pandemic was good to me. Um, oh, so this, is, no... so this is fairly recently then? Yeah. Oh, this is in the last year. Okay, so once um, you started playing eSports, once you started playing League of Legends and realized that, that the correlation coefficient between the players is like 0.9 and above, like, like, dude, if you're not stacking, you can't, like, you can't possibly win. And then once once you have these, then then you have the concepts of, like, once you're on, a, like, a two or three game slate, that it getting had to find unique lineups that also and people are overstacking the favorites. And look, I'm explaining this. I did not I've not played a League of Legends slate yet. From a game theory perspective, League of Legends DFS is probably the the easiest way to see what game theory is. It is. It definitely is at the yeah. most extreme level. And then once you take those concepts and then kind of be able to now expand it to elsewhere. So so you would think so that's what did it for you. Yeah, I mean, so and I was I was there in in baseball before, but it helped me a lot to see it in another sport and figure and kind of understand how people don't get it in baseball and maybe how they can get there. Like you just have to like you just have to be okay to admit the I don't know, get down to what you do know and then say, but I don't know whether Tatis or Seeger are better. I don't, and it's fine. I'm not trying to figure it out. Um, just it so you're is. Not, you're not. It is. You're not weighing the differences between the mid laners. Yeah, and I don't even know what it, a mid laner is. I'm assuming they I don't fight. either, but I know it's a thing. Right. I know they, I have I, I'm assuming the they're fight. fighting. They're shooting from the middle or something. I assume if they shoot, I don't know. Right. <laughs> but that highlights the fact. Like, if you're a good DFS, like I, I, I'll always tell people like it is not a coincidence that the best DFS players seem to be the best DFS players in like every sport that they play. And it's maybe it's not due to the fact that they know the sports 
And you're sitting here as someone that knows way more about baseball than I ever will. Yet you played League of Legends DFS and it's like, I have no idea what the hell's going on. Yet I can make a lot of money just playing the game better than other people. Yes, uh, it's in, it's interesting to say the least. But you're not going to win a um, million dollars in, in League of Legends DFS. No, you're not. Well, you um, can't. Get, well, hold on. Don't they do now on DraftKings, like, if you win, like, you go to, like, the Tournament of Champions thing? I don't know. Did, if, is, Pet, does League of Legends I, I have Petty, Petty Theft, I think he won a League of Legends thing in order to qualify for the Tournament of Champions that, that he did win the know. million dollars on. Well, there you go. You can win a million playing League of Legends. Right. Um, so, and, you know, that that's more, like, projection-wise, that's a totally different thing. And But as far as the concept of DFS, like you always say, that that's an interesting way to look at it. You can play a sport, or a sport, and it's a sport now. You can play a game you don't understand and play it with the right concepts and do well. What I, you know, like I said at the beginning, the first five years I played MLB DFS, I didn't understand. I mean, I understood it, but I, I didn't think that I needed to know. Like, I just knew the best plays. I would just play them. I didn't understand how to figure out at what point I should stop playing a guy based on ownership. Um, once you get to that point, I still think there's value. The reason I do the article other than that I enjoy it I can still break down things and get to things that because the projections are nonsense, that they're not in there and they, they'll never be in there because they don't exist. Um, and I can narrow things down so we can make decisions out of this pool of things to decide on. Um, but at that point, even if you get to that point, like if you just, whatever combination of those things are like, do whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah. Once you get to that point, you definitely need to do everything you're saying of like, you can't just play all of this guy because he's projected for two points more than this guy. I mean, you can, it's just, that it's, high, it's you, just high. It's risk. nonsense. Right. Right. But I mean, you have to, you have to embrace the fact that like you may, you may be playing a team just for the sake of let just like what I played the tigers the other day. And it's like, mm -hmm. why'd you play that? And Mazzara hit a home run and like, he was not owned. And I'm like, great. I hope these tiger stacks go off. And so I was like, why the fuck do you play the tigers? I go, well, cause Savali was going to be owned. And I go, well, why else would you play? The I mean, like, like that's the, all, that's the only reason I need. Is he going to be a 30% owned pitcher? Is he an ace? I don't consider him an ace. The Tigers suck, but no one's going to play them, right? I mean, like, like what, what baseball stats were there? Like, just like, no, I have no idea. Some dude hits a home run I've never even heard of, right? You know, I have two cash. I'm looking at Lee, uh, the, the MLB TV. I don't know which fucking Castro I have in the fucking stack because they have two Castros. Is it Willie Castro? Is it Harold Castro? I have no idea. Just I hope the Tigers do something today. Uh, it's always Willie. It's got to be Willie. But yes, I your point is, is correct. Right, or Victor, they have two Reyes in the lineup or something. I have no idea what goes on with it. Then Miggy <laughs> hits a home run and you have they have two first basemen. You don't have the right first baseman. Last thing, on FanDuel, uh, are you making any adjustments for the fact that there's now multiple positional eligibility there? It's interesting. And it's like, it's so new. I've been doing this. We're four days old now. Um, it's basically just giving you more option, more ways to build whatever, whatever, like if you're stacking a team, 
you now have more different ways to do it. Hmm. Like you, you were kind of boxed in last year to, you know, you can't play, you literally can't play these three guys together, uh, even though you want to. So it's, I wouldn't say anything's really changed other than it's just open more options within stacking. So you're more, you're still more inclined to just four for it, or do you? Because my my concern, it's not a concern. It's that because the guy, because on draft, it actually on DraftKings, guys could only fit into two spots at most. They have more positional, multiple positional guys, second base, shortstop guys, first base, outfield guys, so you can fit into two spots. But Fanduel already had the utility. So now mm-hmm. that they add some MPE to some of these players, they can fit into three spots. To me, for large field GPPs, that makes it more likely that someone will have closer to the nut lineup because the one-off guy that hits 40 points can be in more lineups because of multiple positional eligibility. So I'm not like, depending on how much I'm spending on pitcher, I'm not doing all four fours on FanDuel. Um, because I don't want like what I don't want to do there because of the, just the way the salaries work out, it's just easier to get better lineups. Most days, like I'm not going to put usually, you know, Harold Castro in a tiger stack. If I can afford Mike Trout, like that's kind of where that's an actual decision on FanDuel some days, whereas that's not going to be a decision on DraftKings. So I'm not, I'm not like four, fouring at all costs. Right. But I mean, but, but with the multiple position, I really, wouldn't you be more inclined to do the four, three ones to have yeah. that one spot o- only because like, obviously in the case that you just said, but also due to the fact that guys could fit into three spots now that you want to give yourself more opportunities that if there's a guy that hits three home runs, it's very similar to what I say on DraftKings with the three outfielder spots that I'm less inclined to have my stack encompass all three outfielders because there's so many more outfielders on a slate. You have a 12 game slate, 24 teams, three outfielders plus per team that in a large field GPP, because they could fit in so many spots that, you know, if, if Fran Mill Reyes hits three home runs, like even though you may not have Indian stacks, like he at 8% owned, he'll probably be a one-off in the winning lineup. Like, because yeah. of the outfield spot. Yet, at the shortstop spot, like, if Tatis puts up 28 and Seager puts up 22, like, it doesn't matter. who. I mean, they can only fit in that spot. Like, as long as you have, like, the highest score. Like, if two shortstops hit, the, hit, hit a lot, like, you can't have both. On FanDuel, you can have both. So, to me, I think it makes it me more likely to play, like, a 4-2-1-1 types of lineups on FanDuel more so now than on DraftKings where, like, it's very rare for me to not play a five-man stack. Yeah, so, so far, again, I mean, I'm four days into the season. I don't actually, I don't know fully where I'm going on FanDuel, but um, I've had one, at least one four-man stack. Um, but as far as the secondary stack, I've had everything from just four one-offs to four three one and four two two. Like, I... But I mean, that's what I've been. I mean, I'm just telling you, that's what I've been. That's what. That's why. I, typically, I'm a DraftKings guy. But like on Fanduel, when because because DraftKings now has these fifteen, eighteen dollar large field GPPs. It's like to play a hundred lineups. Like it's just, get out of here. Like just, I'd rather just play single entry stuff and whatever. But on Fanduel, they have the three dollar one, and I know it's the payout structure is fucking stupid. But 
Like I just wanted to experiment. I like like in the beginning yeah. of the season, it's like I want to play 100, I want to play 150 lineups and see constructions, but especially with this MPE of like is there is there some is is there any demonstrable change in because I don't think there's going to be a dramatic but I'm a, I have to assume that people aren't going to be building the same way that they've always been building. And I just want to see if there's if there's something. Download a CSV and, and see, you know, are, are, are certain guys more owned or less owned because they could be fitting the lineups together? And is that, can that be exploited? So like yesterday in the Sunday slate, I played lineups that left 4,000 on the table just to get correlation because the pricing was so soft. So I'm like, a lot of people that use optimizers or they're hand building or like why, why, like you said, why are they going to have Willie Castro or Harold Castro or whoever when they could fit Mike Trout there? And I'm like, well, I'm relying on the fact that that's what they're going to do, and I'm going to, and I'm going to play the four four and leave three thousand on the table, and see how many lineups there are like that. And yeah. if, if that's exploitable, because in NBA it's the same way. NBA Fanduel pricing is so soft that like you rarely have to play these kind of like fringish guys and you, you could build a lineup then leave 2000 on the table and win a GPP and NBA in and FanDuel. And to me, I'm exploit that same thing that user software thing. If so many people are going to use optimizers wrong, why don't I just exploit the fact that people are using, right? You know, there are plenty of people that put the max at on, on, and they, they don't spend anything under the max. And yeah. it's like, like, dude, you can't make stacks if, you're forcing in like if a pitcher is only 200 difference, it's like, Oh, I guess you can't get Indian stacks because it doesn't spend 50,000. It has to spend 49, nine. It's like, like, dude, you don't have to get to that point. So to me, that's a use, that's a software user error type of thing. So I, that's what I'm hoping for in FanDuel. Of, can yeah. I find, is there some type of thing that, that people are going to be using optimizers and it's going to be forcing these types of things. And then I could find a way to exploit because we see that with the goofy players, right? We mentioned the goofy players before. Some 2000, Andrew Vaughn the other day or whatever. Like right. the 2K guy, which is fine. Cash games go for it. But I mean, like if you're blindly using an optimizer and not setting any type of exposures or anything, like that guy's going to be super fucking owned. Only because people are just not, they're just, I'm going to press the button and whatever it gives me, it gives me. Uh, do you think it's, do you think it's, 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 it's bad for me to, try to teach people how to, how to use software and then try to exploit how they exactly use the software. <laughs> no comments. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm trying to I'll teach say, them the right way, yeah. but I'm trying to exploit the people that use it the wrong way. Yeah. I think that's totally fair. Um, and on, on the FanDuel thing, like I, I'm with you completely. I just, I don't know yet what the, right. Me neither. What, so, but yeah, I think it's worth keeping an eye on and seeing how, how it ends up this year. But yeah, at this point um, I'm not sure yet. I just know that, I've been doing a four-man stack with everything from a one to a four. Okay, doke. And you're playing on both sides, right? Yes. 150 on both sides. Um, it depends on the de- oh, when I'm on crunch time. I I usually can't do 150 on both. It's just, I kind of run out of time. Right. Close but to luck. But at least in baseball, it's better than basketball. Yeah, it's doable. Right. Basketball, it's almost impossible. Right. Are you sick of basketball? I, I mean, you don't play that much NBA. No, I like, I play hockey mostly. 
So I really only play NBA on those days where hockey is either doesn't have a slate or just has a couple games. It seems like so you're a big I, fan of correlation. Uh, yeah, those, those sports are my better sports. Right. Baseball, sure. hockey, and, and League of Legends are like the yeah. football. Yep. Like, and then you got football, right? Yeah, I, I'm okay. I don't know. Football. I, I don't know. I love football. I, I have no idea. I'm, I'm not particularly. I don't think anyone is as much good or bad at NFL DFS, but um, correlation wise, yeah, it's somewhere in the middle. So correlation isn't nonsense then? No. Projections are nonsense, but correlation Correct. isn't. Projections are nonsense. Correlation is not nonsense. Okay. Uh, yes, I'm comfortable with that. <laughs> uh, Dave Potts 2 on Twitter. Is there a reason that 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 you haven't switched your Twitter name to keep on brand and just be Jesus good? Um, I don't even know how you do that. Because <laughs> you don't even know how to do it. <laughs> I, I am from the past. I think from it's amazing past. I even have a Twitter account. Right. Where's the name come from? Cheese is good. Um, so people assume I like cheese. I actually do not like cheese. Um, I eat cheese on very few things. Pretty much pizza is it. Um, before DFS, I was a musician. I think, you know, you were a comedian. I was a musician, kind of a similar weird lifestyles. So, um, I write like folk music and I had a guy from a college newspaper review one of my CDs and my, my music is aimed not so much towards the college crowd. It's a little more old people music. Um, and the, the kid says something in the review, like some of these songs are kind of cheesy, but sometimes cheese is good. <laughs> and that was like the same week that I created my FanDuel account. And it was just in my head. I was like, that's kind of funny. <laughs> They just thought that's your username. Fuck it. Cheese yeah. Good. And I had no idea. Like most pretty much everyone who's in the content space now, I had no clue at the time that that would one day be my name to the world or it would be something different. Right. People, because people, most people call you cheese. Yeah. Yeah. And I truly do not like cheese. <laughs> cheese is not good. Well, people call me blender. Yeah. Right. Blenders are, are good. If you need, how else do you get, make a smoothie? Right. Blender and cheese go, did they go together? <laughs> But if you could change, but shouldn't you? But shouldn't you want to keep on brand and cheese is good? Be cheese is good everywhere. Maybe I'm. If I really wanted to be branding, I kind of hate Twitter so much. I don't really want to be a Twitter personality at all. Delete like it. Delete Twitter. But I'm so I'm saying somewhere in the middle, like a, you know. I have a different name. I don't tweet very often. But sometimes I have things to say that are so funny, I have to say them to somebody. You put them in your article, though. Yeah, but when it's not baseball season, I'm out of options. Oh, so did you did write League of Legends articles? Maybe one day. Right. Well, yeah, you'd actually have to know what they do. You have to know. Yeah, I would have to figure out what the game is. I'd right, you have to what figure baron out. Is. There's something called a baron. I know. I don't know what that means. Uh, well, thanks for, thanks for coming on. And... Uh, uh, as 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 usual, we'll both be playing in the same contest. So I wish you the worst of luck. Absolutely right. So and but but if I don't win, you you could win. Like that Thank that that that. What's we'll right? It's right. fine. No, well, I mean, you're playing 150 lineups, and I'm playing 150 lineups. I'm rooting for you to come in 151st place. Fair enough. Because I don't want you to come in above any of my lineups. <laughs> <laughs> that that's what it should be, right? Yes. Right. You're on crunch time wishing people good luck. I'm like, if you're in my contest, I don't want you to, I don't want you to have good luck. I want you to have bad luck. 
Okay. Such so. a nice guy, as we said. Right, right I, what? what? I'm truthful, at least. What right. Most people won't say that. Correct. And they should. Dave, if, you, you're, if you're playing the draft, you're, you're playing today. So whatever, eight games late or whatever, whatever it is today. You're playing 150 lineups for DraftKings. You're playing 150 lineups on FanDuel. Who do you want to win? Anyone, anyone. No, you want yourself to win. Of course you do. I root for everyone. You can't, everyone can't win. But someone must, and I'll be so happy for them. Even if you don't know who they are? Especially then. I can pretend like they're nice. (laughs) So you're too nice for this. This It's supposed to be cutthroat. Or lineups are supposed to be battling against each other. Yes, we uh, we will we will fight. Right, will I'm fight not going to well. know who's in half my lineups, but they'll be fighting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Dave Potts, cheese is good. You could uh, get his uh, his ar- premium article over at Roto Grinders with a premium subscription, and uh, tweeted him at Dave Potts too, just to make sure that he checks his Twitter every once in a while, even though he hates. I'll it. see it. You'll see it. And then you could always get the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports 15-hour audio DFS masterclass at theoryofdfs.com.